This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports from Station Casinos. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. What is up, hockey fans? It is the Golden Edge podcast coming at you on a Wednesday I'm Ben Goats, and on the other line is my dear colleague, David Shane, who is uh, internationally abroad right now. Dave, how is lovely Canada in November? Oh, it's awesome. It's gray, it's windy, you know, it's a beautiful day. That is awesome. Of course, Dave is in Toronto because the Golden Knights play uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow on Thursday, which would be a really interesting matchup. It's a really interesting road trip right now for the Knights that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, But before we get into all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos and is also presented by Axios.com and Untuck It. Uh, Well, Dave, it was another weird week for the Knights who have actually had a lot of uh, Canadian influence in their games recently. They hosted the Montreal Canadiens and the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday and Saturday. They built two period or two goal leads in the third period of both of those games. And you would think they would be able to step on the throat with both of those teams playing the second game of a back-to-back. But they lost both those leads, lost both those games in overtime. But then the Knights bounced back with a win over the Columbus Blue Jackets on the road last night. I mean, just what's going on with this team right now? I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about, yeah? Yeah. I mean, at least in, in, the, uh, in the Canadians game and the Jets game, you know, just, I mean, the breakouts the sloppy pass, you know, just, just, it's, Jargalant uses the term loose. I, I use that term a lot too. They've just been too loose. Um, I don't know if it's complacency and, and all that sort of stuff. I actually sent an email to uh, NHL stats and information to find out if the Golden Knights in their brief history had ever blown a two goal lead in the third period of consecutive games. They said it's never happened until, uh, until that Montreal Winnipeg, um, I guess fiasco. I don't, I don't mean that's too strong of a word, um, but it's, you know, obviously it's rare. It doesn't, we haven't really seen that. They've been good with the lead and, and more than anything, we've seen them play confidently with the lead. I thought we finally saw that in the third period, a little bit against Columbus last night, but I, those, those two games, the other, you know, last week, just, I mean, somewhat inexcusable, really. Yeah. They made history apparently as a, you just said it was a lot of what we've, as you brought up, we've said about this team, and we thought the Avalanche game where they just got punked might cause them to really self-reflect and fix some of these things, which we've talked about, like poor breakouts, forwards leaking out of the defensive zone too early. 
I mean, sloppy passes, just baffling turnovers that can't happen. Um, and we also thought that Nate Schmidt coming back would help alleviate some of those things. And he has to an extent, but ultimately that wasn't the wake-up call, I think, that they needed. They didn't take the lessons from that Colorado game that they needed to. And even after the Montreal game, I thought it was interesting talking to players in the locker room that they were like, hey, we thought we still played well in this game. We just didn't get the breaks we wanted, you know, the game-tying goal. Or no, it was a, the goal that cut it to a one-goal deficit came off Tomas Tatar's body. Then the actual game-tying goal in regulation came off a skate. So, I mean, the Golden Knights were fair to point out that those were bad bounces and they thought they still played well in that game. But also what Gallant brought up in both those games is that they sat back a lot and let the other team have the puck a lot. And if the other team has a puck a lot, the other team is more likely to get those bounces. So I think they were kind of letting those bounces excuse some of their sloppy play in the Canadians game. And that ultimately bled over into the Winnipeg game where they kind of repeated that formula to not very good effects. Yeah, I'd agree with that largely. I mean, I'll, I'll side with them a little bit in terms of the bounces and then even to the Winnipeg game. I mean, you know, we have that, I guess, offside or non-offside that ends up leading to the tying goal for Winnipeg. So, I, you know, those are all things that you'd like to think would kind of even out over a year. Um, I mean, we can talk about this a little bit, but, you know, maybe maybe they caught a break in Columbus on the, uh, on the first goal. Maybe March so was offside. Uh, obviously, you know, John Tortorella, the Columbus coach, even today was still at his press conference talking about how he didn't understand it and what is possession and, and I need to know a better definition of it and things like that. So, you know, maybe the Knights caught a break there. Maybe it evens out, you know, a little bit. I think, you know, what, what was, I guess, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Worrisome, so to speak, is, is kind of what you referred to in, in just the sitting back. And, and it felt like, at least in those two games, that there was like this mental kind of shut off. Like, okay, we, we've done our work. Now we can just coast the rest of the way and, you know, we'll take our two points and they go on their way. We go on our way and, you know, and everything will be, be grand. And obviously that's not what happened. They ended up with two points out of the two games instead of the four. And I think a lot of that, it bounces. But like you said, it's, it's putting yourself into a position to allow the other team to take advantage of those bounces. And, and I think that's where you can fault the Knights. I think maybe that was the improvement that we saw against Columbus last night. I felt like they were more comfortable with the lead. There was about a seven-minute stretch where, where Columbus made a really strong push at him in the third period. They were able to withstand that, and then they did a good job in the last three minutes really kind of, uh, you know, keeping them quiet, squelching anything. I don't even know if they gave up a shot in the last couple of minutes, to be quite honest, last night. So that's encouraging. You know, maybe they didn't learn from Colorado, but maybe they learned from the last two games and, and they were able to apply it uh, to the third period last night. Yeah, no, I definitely think there was a different tone in the locker room after the Winnipeg, Winnipeg game compared to the Montreal game. Though, as you mentioned, the Winnipeg game did still have an interesting bit of officiating where uh, – icing was not called with when Nate Schmidt was racing after the puck along with Winnipeg Jets forward Kyle Connor Schmidt appeared to beat Connor to the faceoff dot by about a half length and at that point that's when the referee is supposed to determine whether icing should be called or not by the you know letter of the law it appeared that it should be called there it was not instead Schmidt blows a tire hits the ice Connor gets the puck dishes it to a wide open Mark Shifley in front of the net tie game and I think that goes back to the Golden Knights' 
you know, there's no reason that the Golden Knights should be in a one-goal game at that point. They were up 3-1 in the first period. Winnipeg was tired. They got outshot 53-19 to by the Sharks the night before. And so the fact that they were in that position, I mean, Coach Gerard Gallant said it after the game, like that call wasn't the reason we lost. It was because we sat back and we were too loose. And then last night, I think you have to credit the Knights where there was times where I thought they had some really good offensive zone pressure and they kind of maybe deserved the bounce to go their way in terms of Jonathan Marchessault was ruled to have possession of the puck even though his skates crossed the blue line before the puck. That leads to the Golden Knights getting Riley Smith's first goal, and that ends up being obviously a, a key goal in a two-to-one game. Yeah, and I think I, you know, I even go back a little bit to that Winnipeg game and and kind of think back to the uh, to the Reeves fight um, with Lowry when when Tuck got hurt because I know certainly Winnipeg's coach Paul Maurice and some of their players felt like that was a turning point for Winnipeg. That was you know a moment where they got a little energy, a little juice. And and they were able to get back in the game. I guess maybe you could criticize Jared Gallant for, you know, sending Ryan Reeves over the boards to, you know, make Lowry answer the bell for that call. Um, I'm kind of old school in, in, in a little regard, and I don't really have a problem with it in the sense that they had a problem with the hit. Okay, Reeves goes, and they take care of it. And then the rest of the game went on fine. You know what I mean? Like Like, that was it. That ended it they took care of the problem and everybody can go play hockey. So from that standpoint, I don't have a problem with it, but I guess in terms of momentum and things like that, maybe it backfired, you know, on the nights a little bit, but again, you know, to last night, I just thought they played, they played the way they have to play on the road. It was similar to kind of the Pittsburgh game. I felt, you know, like they got outshot a little bit and and all that, but you know, it was basically an even game. They basically kind of grinded it out, which is what you have to do on the road. And, and I think it's it's a step in the right direction for the Knights to be able to understand how to play with a lead and be comfortable with it. I kind of I kind of always think about a soccer analogy, and you see so many one nothing games in soccer, and there are certain teams that that they're up one nothing, and you just feel like the game is done. That other team is just never going to get a sniff. And obviously, it's different in hockey with with the back and forth. But it just felt like last night a one goal lead felt more comfortable than it had in the previous two games. The previous two games, it kind of felt like you were waiting for that tying goal to come. It just felt like everything had kind of swung. Last night, it felt like the Knights were, you know, they were hanging on a little bit. They certainly were absorbing pressure, but it didn't feel like they were, like, completely just running around, like, with their hair on fire or anything like that. It didn't seem like they were uncomfortable with the lead. They did the things that they have to do, you know, kind of the little things and, and all that sort of stuff. So, again... That's the encouraging thing. We'll see if they're able to to build on that going forward. Uh, Dave, of course, referring to the Adam Lowry hit on Alex Tuck that knocked Alex Tuck out of only his second game of the season. Uh, Tuck is now considered day-to-day with an upper body injury. That caused the Golden Knights to make some roster adjustments for Tuesday's game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll talk about one other roster adjustment they made for that game after some brief messages. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is also impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. 
When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up, and it's free. Sports.axios.com. That's A-X-I-O-S.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. Have you ever seen an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Well, because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall of the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. I mean, I've had problems with shirt shopping in the past. I'm like six foot five, and it's hard for people to shop with me. But I love how easy it is to get Untuck It shirts, and I think they look great. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So the other key storyline, for me anyway, in that Blue Jackets game, besides the fact that they kind of reversed some of the trends that had been creeping into their game, was the fact that Derek England was a healthy scratch. Uh, the 37-year-old uh, assistant captain for the Knights was benched in favor of rookie Nick Hague, and it really didn't adversely affect the Knights that much. I mean, I thought Hague played an outstanding game with uh, Shea Theodore as his partner, certainly his best game so far. The Knights went 4-4 four for four on the penalty kill, even though uh, Coach Jorgalant has called England one of the best penalty killers in the league. Dave this has been affected a little bit recently because Nick Hag has now been sent back down to the American Hockey League's Chicago Wolves. We'll see if this is a one-day taxi situation or whether he's actually going to stick there for a while. But what do you think the Knights are going to end up doing with England moving forward? It's so hard to tell. I really don't know because it seemed like last night and, and kind of the vibe that I got was that this was sort of maybe the beginning of phasing Derek England out. If if they're able to, if, you know, everybody that, that they have in the lineup continues to play well. It just, it kind of felt like they've been dancing around this move, and they finally, I mean, I hate to use the phrase pull the trigger, but, you know, they finally made it. And, and it worked for the most part. The one thing with it that I will say is the drawback, so, so I'll, I'll say this first. Nick Hague played 12 minutes and two seconds, all at five on five. So he wasn't out that, and that's of his nine games. That's his low. He that that's the fewest amount of of ice time that he's logged. So in that sense, last night, and there were some penalties. Obviously, he's not on the PK or anything like that. So it cut down a little bit. But they did. They really kind of protected him. They didn't put him, you know, out there against you know top lines and things like that. I guess they were ostensibly like the third pair. If you look at the ice time at five on five and things like that, the Merrill Holden pairing you know, was, was way ahead of them in terms of, you know, their distribution. The drawback, obviously, is that if, if Haig is skating with, 
with Shea Theodore, and that continues going forward, if they keep the ice time distributed that way, then it, it you know, obviously it shaves some time off Shea Theodore. And he's one of your best defensemen. You want him out there. Obviously, he's going to get power play time and things like that. But that might be the drawback of it a little bit. My personal opinion, this is the lineup that I would have gone with like from day one. Um, we saw Nick Haig with Nate Schmidt a lot in the preseason. And we saw him a little bit toward the end with Shea Theodore. One of the things that we've kind of, it, it feels like, or it seems, and, and we've seen this with the Knights a lot, is kind of pairing that mobile defenseman with more of the stay-at-home guy. And Nick Haig would kind of qualify as more of the stay-at-home guy. And skating with Shea Theodore and kind of letting him sort of be free-flowing and do his thing, it seems like they would have some good chemistry. Last night, it seemed to work pretty well. I mean, they gave up one goal. They gave up, I think it was 30 shots, nothing excessive, you know. I mean, they look they look pretty good as far as I'm concerned. So going forward, if it's me, I continue with that. I ride those six. I use the Schmidt-McNabb, I use Theodore Haig, and I keep Merrill holding together. And and I see what happens. I see if the, that's, you know, the chemistry. I see if Nick Haig can continue to develop because if he's able to, you know, then it elevates everything. It elevates all six of them. So it's a tough decision for Jared Glant because Derek King, like you said, obviously a great penalty killer, but also just the leadership, you know. I mean, this is one of your three assistant captains that you just made a healthy scratch. Sends a strong message. So we'll kind of see what happens going forward. I... I the reassignment to the AHL throws my mind off because I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure if, like you said, if it's a salary cap move and he comes back and plays. Nick Hague is actually from the Toronto area, so I'm sure he wants to play here um, against the Maple Leafs tomorrow. I guess, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It's a little puzzling if you play him the way that you played him last night and everything kind of looks good and then you just all of a sudden go, mm, yeah, okay, England's back in the lineup. I... I to me, that would be a little baffling. To me, this is if you're going to start phasing Derek England out, this is the time to do it. Right. We'll end up seeing what happens. But certainly, I mean, Hag looked, like I said, good last night just because I think he was more aggressive knowing that he was playing with a more mobile partner. He was more aggressive on pinches. He was a little bit more physical. And I think that's because he knew if he stepped up a little bit further into the offensive zone, they had a partner who could back him up by hauling the other way, whereas... When he's playing with Derek England, I mean, neither of them can really afford to make a mistake on a pinch or going up for a hit because you don't want to put either of those two guys, you know, in a position to have to defend an odd man rush. Now, Haig still had to defend one odd man rush last night, a two on one, and he didn't even allow a shot attempt on it, which I thought was a really good play by the rookie. But we'll have to see how his usage kind of looks moving forward and how soon he's back with the team. And obviously, I think it's fair to point out, Derek England has struggled this year. He has the worst shot attempts percentage on the team. He had a really bad turnover that led to the Winnipeg Jets' first goal Saturday night. So if you're Coach Jorgalant and you want to send some level of message to your team, and specifically to your blue line, I think that was you know, maybe a good time to do it of like, hey, we can't have these types of plays, and we can't let these types of plays go unpunished. Well, I think that's part of, one of what makes Jorgalant, you know, such a good coach and, and respected by players is kind of that accountability and, you know, that honesty of, you know, he's going to, he's going to tell you like it is, you know, behind closed doors. I know those guys are coached hard 
you know, that we don't see it when they're on the ice. We see, you know, a lot of laughing and things like that. But I know when they're back there doing film and, and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, he, he, he doesn't hold back. He's, he can be blunt and, and brutally honest with those guys. And, and they actually, that, that's what they appreciate. They want to know where they stand. So from that standpoint, I'm sure Derek England knows exactly where he stands, you know, with Richard Gallant going forward. You know, it's just a question, I think, of this point of, of, you know, can you, what, like, what, what outweighs what in, in that regard? I mean, does Derek England's penalty killing and leadership outweigh the fact that it unbalances, you know, the, the other two pairs, excluding the, the Schmidt McNabb one? It, well, I mean, one of my biggest things with, with Derek England right now is I just, I don't know who you play him with. I don't see anybody on that roster. Maybe Merrill. I don't, you know, I mean, cause he can skate a little bit, but I just, that's the biggest problem for me is who do you put on the left with Derek England that can move? Because the only guy that you could really do that with is Shea Theodore. And they seem very committed to having him on the right. And Shea Theodore has been, I don't want to say vocal, but, but he certainly, whenever we've asked about his comfort level on the right, he certainly said that he likes that side. He likes being able to walk the blue line on his forehand, you know, when he picks the puck off the wall and, and things like that. So if that's the way that they're going to do it going forward, I just don't see where Derek England fits, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they approach kind of all these blue line battles that they got going on moving forward. Well, and speaking of moving forward, like we previously mentioned, Dave, you're in Toronto you're soon going to be in a Washington, D.C. in a couple of days for two really, really interesting matchups for the Knights. Obviously, Toronto, the record probably isn't what they want it to be, but they're still one of the most talented teams in the league. And Captain John Tavares just got healthy and should be playing against the Golden Knights. And the Capitals have the most points in the league as of this recording. Uh, so that's a really tough two-game swing for the Knights, and they finish off this road trip playing in Detroit the day after playing the Capitals. Uh We'll just quick preview it. What do you need to see from this team over these next three games, especially if they're going to be without a guy like Alex Tuck, depending on his availability? I'd like to see a lot of what I saw last night. You know, I think team, you have to play different on the road. You have to be able to grind out games. You have to be able to, you know, play a tighter checking, you know, a little closer to the best type of game, especially against a team like Toronto, especially against a team like Washington. I don't think you know, getting into like a 6-4 kind of, you know, up and down racehorse game with them is anything you want to do. So to me, you know, especially like Toronto, because of all the talk about them recently and, you know, it seems like every team that's come in the last week or so has been asked, you know, hey, what do they have to do to win a cup? And it just seems to be kind of, you know, just, just building and building. And we, you know, obviously the way that the the interest in hockey and the Maple Leafs is up here, I mean, I don't think they can get away with it or get away from it, excuse me. So from that standpoint, I just think the Knights need to just put some doubt in their mind, you know, get an early lead, you know, make them grind it out, make them play an uncomfortable game. I, you know, Toronto wants to get, get up and down. Don't let them do it. If they're able to get some points out of there, I don't want to say the Washington game is a throwaway, but I don't think it's as, as important if, they, if they're able to get something done up here, you know, tomorrow night. Because the other thing is, Detroit stinks. Like that should be two points. I understand it's a tough turnaround coming from Washington and going up there in the last game on a road trip, but that that should be two points. So 
if they're able to get something out of the game tomorrow night in Toronto, and you have five, say five points, six points out of eight on a road trip, I mean, that would be extremely successful. I'm sure they would go home, you know, feeling like, you know, okay, maybe we figured some things out here. Let's, you know, let's push forward. But, you know, again, it's two tough teams. It's, it's, it changes everything. You know, you go in tomorrow night, you struggle a little bit, and then you go play Washington, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, the doubts could start creeping back in. So we'll see how they handle it. But like I said, I, I just I would like to see them be able to play, you know, a tighter game, you know, grind it out like they did against Columbus. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially against two high-powered offenses. You know, it'd be interesting to see how the Golden Knights can defend and whether they can, you know, Zaki cliche, but defend and stay disciplined for a full 60 minutes against two really good teams. And then, yeah, you put the pressure on them in Detroit, and I think that's fair just because of how tight the Pacific Division standings are right now. You know, as of this recording uh, on Tuesday morning, uh, first and sixth place in the Pacific Division is separated by three points, which is insane. I've never seen anything like that. I understand it's earlier in the season, but it's still pretty crazy. I mean, even before the Winnipeg game, uh, Mark Stone was asked about the game, and he said, I think the Winnipeg game is an important game for us. You know, he was asked why, and Mark Stone said, because everyone around us in the division keeps winning, and we need to keep pace with that. I think it's important for the Knights to try to keep pace with that on this road trip because, you know, as we talked about earlier in that last homestand, they didn't really build up a lot of points despite playing four straight games at home. So now to balance that out, I think you need to try to get at least some points out of these upcoming three games on the road. It'll be really interesting to see if they do that. Well, Dave, I'll let you get back to enjoying uh, the beautiful Canadian weather. Thank you so much for calling in from Toronto. Really appreciate it. You got it. Enjoy uh, lovely Vegas. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy this a little bit more, though I do vacation to Minnesota in a few days because I'm the type of person that vacations in Minnesota in November. So that's something that everyone now knows about me and what I like to do with my free time. Well, we are the Golden Edge Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Remember, we hit you up about every Wednesday with these episodes. You can get them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. A quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos, as well as Axios.com and Untucket. We thank all of them for their support. We thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.